Hi, I'm Jenna. And I'm Mark. And you're listening to Cincinnati Zoo Tales. Hey guys, we're back with Cincinnati Zoo Tales. Yeah, thanks for joining us for another episode today. We're really excited. We've got one of our coworkers here with us from the Africa Department, Teresa Truesdale. Teresa is a senior keeper with us and She's a little bit known as like the giraffe whisperer, I would say. She's our giraffe primary keeper. She knows all things giraffe. Her relationship she's built with the herd over the years is something, a sight to behold, honestly. It's amazing. Definitely. But thanks for joining us today. We're yeah, excited. Thanks for having me. You know, a lot of people used to think that giraffe weren't very smart or that you couldn't train them. And I think in the last 10 years or so, they've come such a long way. So today we're going to talk about giraffe and kind of dive into Teresa training ours and helping them have better, healthier lives. So that's what we'll be talking about today, getting to know the herd a little bit better. But tell us about like how you became a zookeeper or what got you interested and kind of how you got to Cincinnati. Oh, man. Um, so I always knew I wanted to be a zookeeper. Um, I think I have like some art project from middle school that I still have that says something like that zookeeper on it. So I always <laughs> knew. Um, but That's a classic. Yeah. Like, you have your junior high thing where you're talking about I love about that it stayed the same. Yeah. <laughs> I found it recently and was like, oh, wow, see, I always knew. <laughs> um, but I uh, went to college at University of South Carolina, and uh, Riverbank Zoo was right there, so I was lucky enough to be able to volunteer while I was in school. And I got to work with um, mostly elephants and giraffe. I was just cleaning the barns. Um, but I loved it, and uh, I was lucky... My senior year, I got offered a temp job. I did an internship in there, too, and then I got offered a temp job for a little while. While you were still going to class? Um, it was, I was a week before graduation. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I got really lucky. I was like, I have a job right, soon, right even before I graduate. So I got super lucky with That's timing. Awesome. We had had a bunch of people leave, and they needed some help. So I was a temp keeper for like three months, and then I was offered a job in the hoofstock department. Um, working with elephants, giraffe, zebra, ostrich, um, hippos, a bunch of stuff. But I loved it. I was there for seven years, and then I left to go to Toledo Zoo to work with just elephants. And I was there for two years, and then this position came open here at Cincinnati, and now here I am. <laughs> when you left Riverbanks to go to Toledo, was it because like you fell in love with elephants? Yeah, I wanted to focus on um, elephants more. They were doing more breeding things. Um, at Riverbanks, we had just had four older cows, which were great. I loved working with those girls, but um, Toledo was, uh, they had a breeding female and two young boys, uh, one teenage boy that they were doing semen collections on, which I had never done before, and I was like, this would be super cool. Yeah. Uh, so doing semen collections on uh, a bull elephant, and uh, we had a five or six year old calf at the time, so getting to be a part of like a young calf was really cool. Oh my gosh, that's like my dream <laughs> work with an elephant baby. <laughs> yeah, he was a lot of fun. And then uh, we had a breeding female that we were talking about doing artificial insemination on again. Um, it never happened while I was there, but um, that was what brought me to Toledo. Cool. So when you were looking to start in Cincinnati, Obviously, you're working in the Africa Department now. That was the position that opened up. No elephants in the Africa Department. Was that something that you consciously made that decision, or it just kind of worked out that way? Yeah, it was more for personal reasons why I wanted to be in mm -hmm. Cincinnati, but also it's a great zoo, and I loved working with giraffe when I was at Riverbanks, and I, I missed giraffe. Um, but especially, I, it turned out to be such a good fit because I could use all the training knowledge and experience I had working with elephants and turn it to the giraffe herd here. 
Um, and that's been a lot of fun for me. I've loved every bit of it. So I'm really glad I made the switch. Um, I do miss elephants sometimes, but mm -hmm. I love our, our giraffe a lot. So I'm sure, I'm sure that training background with elephants too was huge because as I'm sure we'll get into, training giraffe is no easy task. It takes a lot of patience <laughs> Lots and a lot of, of patience, hard work. So. But they're not dumb. And they've <laughs> had that reputation for so long, and it's, it's not true. They are very trainable. Um, you just have to find what motivates them and, um, and build your relationship. And they're very trainable. Um, they're very, they can be very smart. But they are prey animals, so they act like prey animals, which is why people have thought they were dumb for so long. But, um, but they're not. Which makes them smart, right? So they're, like, not very trusting because they don't want to be eaten. So <laughs> yeah, it here. Like, <laughs> it's harder to train things, and it, it is harder. Just They're not quite as food-motivated as, say, a hippo that just opens their mouth and begs for food constantly. But, yeah, you've done so much with a giraffe. And, you know, currently, tell us about our herd right now. And I want to hear, like, obviously Mark and I know them, but you know them better or, you know at least in a, more time a lot them. of different yeah. ways than we do. And so I'd like to hear your take on like their little personality quirks. Um, so we have five giraffe right now. We have three females and two males. Uh, we have Tessa, who's the oldest. She's 15. Um, she's like the kind of, there aren't matriarchs in giraffe herds, but that's kind of how she's viewed. Like she's like the leader and she's not scared of much and everybody else is worried about something. She's right there in it, like doesn't care. Um, so they kind of follow her lead a lot of times. Uh, I feel like every day when you shift the giraffe outside, Tess is always the first one leading yeah, the pack out she there. Is, <laughs> yeah, she's, she's always kind of the leader. Um, Cece's the next oldest. She's uh, 11, uh, but she she's a little more shy. She's a little more standoffish, kind of aloof. Um, she doesn't usually want to be a part of the group. Like if everybody else is like at the VIP wall getting snacks, she's like, nah, I'm going to go hang out over here by myself. She doesn't really tend to like to fight for food if everybody else is trying to eat it um but she's she's a good uh trainee she's a she's a smart girl i don't know if i should say this out loud but is she still your favorite her and theo okay i don't know they're all so different it's really <laughs> hard to pick a favorite like that's fine I, yeah. I think you're not supposed to have them no i, I, I think was. they're all they're all good at different things they're all like they all have their personality quirks that i that i can pick and choose that I really like about them. So I like all of them for different reasons. Okay. But Theo, her son, um, he's just, just now turned two, not, not too long ago. Um, he is, he, I think he holds a place in everybody's heart. He's just the sweetest baby yeah. ever. He's <laughs> super, he's very hands-on. He's kind of just a big derp. He's just kind of, he's, he's so gentle. He's yeah. so <laughs> His tongue is always out. He just looks silly all the time. Um, but he's really good at like, he's, we do all the things with him with training wise. Like he's always been super easy. Um, he'll do blood draw x-ray. He was less than a year old when we got x-rays on him the first time he was just didn't care. He's like, I'll do whatever. Just give me some crackers. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we've been able to trim all four of his feet. Um, we've done blood draw x-rays. Like he's just a super chill baby. He's just, I don't know. He's an easy kid. Um, and then we have Zoe, who's five. She's the opposite of Theo. She's very high strung, very nervous about everything, um, high alert all the time. Um, she's very food motivated, though. She's a hungry girl, so uh, that's the only way we can get training done with her. If she, if she didn't like crackers so much, we would not be able to get very far with her. Um, but yeah, she's always on, on alert. She's a she's a special girl. Like she's a special girl. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's Fennessy. He's two and a half. Um, he's a big boy, big boy. Um, he's gonna be 
He's going to be a big guy when he gets older, but um, very handsome. he is very mm -hmm. handsome. Um, he's a little bit like Zoe. He's a little more skittish, but he also is very food motivated, and we can do a lot with him, too. And he's he's a fun kid, too. He's very he, he's very nosy. That's his thing recently. <laughs> he's, he smell, He loves to smell everything, so he'll like bend down to smell volunteers or intern, anybody that walks in the barn. He has to be like in their face smelling them. Um, he's like, if you're not paying attention, you'll run into his face in the hallway. <laughs> like he's just <laughs> in the way, <laughs> but he's super cute. I love he's that. always drooling on oh you. Oh my and and Zoe both. It's <laughs> like, they have such good timing. It's when you look up and it goes directly in your eyeball. Or <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Zoe likes to paint the ground when she's waiting for her grain. There's just drool drizzled all <laughs> over the ground. <laughs> she's a big drooler. Do you have any favorite giraffe facts that we should share? Hmm. I mean, I think the standard ones I usually share are their tongues. Their um, their tongues can be 18 inches long, and they're kind of a purpley black color, and it's to help protect them from sunburn. Um, their hearts are uh, about 25 pounds and Incredible. two feet long. Yeah, they have to be able to be be very big to pump blood to all those extremities. Um, they have special valves. Uh, uh, veins, valves in their veins, like in their necks, to help um, pump the blood in the right, or stop the blood from rushing to their head when they bend down or when they stand back up. Um, Otherwise, they'd pass out, right? They would like pass out, yeah. <laughs> All that blood pressure, yeah. you just bend down. And, yeah. Every time they bend down, they uh, get a drink. <laughs> yeah, they'd pass out when they stand back up. So, it, so they have those special adaptations to help with that, which I think is pretty cool. So one of the craziest giraffe facts to me is always their sleep schedule. Would you talk about their sleep pattern? For yeah, they don't sleep very much. It's usually, what, two to four hours a day and not all in one sitting. It's just naps here and there because they have to be on alert all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, so in the wild, they would, they would just nap throughout the day or throughout the night, and they would usually sleep standing up. They can sleep standing down and, and, and standing down, laying down. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I don't know how much they would lay down in the wild, but here in, at the zoo, they... They sleep a lot more than they probably would in the wild, and they do lay down a lot more than they would in the wild because they don't, they don't have any predators. They know they don't have anything to worry about, so they're a little more relaxed. But I feel like especially overnight in the barn, they know that's kind of their safe place. Like I feel like yeah. when you go in there in the morning, usually one or two of them is kind of laying down at first first check in the morning. Or in the afternoon. Usually when I come mm. back after lunch, Fen is always laying down. <laughs> He's always down. His afternoon nap. I don't blame him. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's interesting we've mentioned that, you know, they are prey animals. They don't have tons of predators as adults just because of their size and their speed and their really, you know, forceful kick. But, of course, we mentioned, you know, people have thought that they were very smart, but really they are just have to be on the lookout, and that's why they don't sleep a ton, and that's what might make others think that they aren't very trainable. So back in the day when I started as a keeper here, um, giraffe were the first animals I got to work with, and they'll always have a special place in my heart. But it's interesting how far we've come as far as, like, differences and what we do for a giraffe here and at other zoos, it seems like. It's all changed a ton. Um, but we didn't necessarily think they were trainable. Now you mentioned briefly you've trained them for blood draws and x-rays and hoof work, which is super, super important, and all sorts of things. And I was wondering if you think that maybe Theo is one of the best trainers. I don't know. You might agree with this uh males are maybe a little bit easier just in personality wise yeah. yeah in my experience males are a little more chill and more food motivated so they tend to be easier to train but i've only worked with a handful so i 
in general, I think that's true. I wonder true. if it plays a part in it. And then also you had started this program. What? I can't even remember. What year was it when you came here? 16? Yeah, 2016. Okay. So you had maybe like started this training program and gotten a whole, like a hang of things and he got to start really young. Do you yeah. think that has anything to oh, do yeah, with it? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. And we already kind of had an idea at that, the time that he was born, like we already kind of had a routine and... When uh, Cora and Zoe, five years ago, when they were born, we were still just barely getting started, not sure what would work for us, not sure how to do the do any of it yet, and they kind of got, we started a lot slower with them, or a lot later with them, um, so I think, yeah, I think starting sooner definitely is a big, big difference. So and th those two boys were also able to kind of grow up in the barn and observe their moms and Zoe and watch them do training and participate, which yeah. I'm sure kind of makes a difference as well. Like, yeah, we, we joke about, like, Theo watching Cece because Cece does all the same stuff. Like, Theo's very mom-focused. <laughs> so we're like, yeah, we, we always joke that maybe he's watched Cece, like, but maybe he has. Maybe he's watched and learned, or maybe we just got lucky. I don't really know it's hard to say like if he actually picked it up from watching but he could have I think it's really fun to see how excited they are to train like you can tell they're like waiting for their turn because you can only do one at a time yeah. and they're like waiting at the gate like ready to shift over ready to like bust the gate down yeah <laughs> yeah yeah they used to not be like that it's such a night and day difference when we first started it was a struggle just to get one of them separated because they were so nervous. Yeah, about they don't separating. Want to be separated. Yeah, and now they're just like, let me in there. <laughs> <laughs> so fun. Do they each have are crackers like the biggest motivator for each of them, or do they have favorites like the red leaf eater biscuits? Does anybody prefer those over the crackers? Um, everybody but Fennessy likes the leaf eater biscuits. Fen will spit them back in your face. He will not <laughs> eat them. Um, so if we ever ran out of crackers for some reason, we could use um, biscuits as a uh, backup. But he. They, they tend to prefer the crackers, so we just mm. stick with that. But even some of them, like, you had to get them used to, Like, Tessa wouldn't eat those yeah. previously, right? And yeah. I think they used to use them at the deck a long time ago, but the that particular cracker that, that we used to use at the deck um, went out of business, or that company went out of business. Um, so the crackers we had to switch to were slightly different, and, yeah, they're very sensitive to change. So the crackers, even though they've kind of had them before, that took a while. We had to, like, crumble them up and put them in their grain and, like, trick them into eating them. And then they eventually <laughs> were like, oh, these aren't so bad, and now they love them. So, yeah, they have to, like, get yeah. used to everything. <laughs> but Mark mentioned you have to be really patient to do all this. So as far as, like, training, like, how you got it started, who did you start with or where did you, like – did you decide to start on hoof work first or just, I, I know a little bit about it, but go ahead and tell us like where you started, how you even knew where to begin. Um, well, I was lucky enough to get to go to Columbus Zoo to see some of their training and get some ideas. We had tried some stuff before that in a different setup and it wasn't really working, um, but we weren't sure how to fix it. And I got to go to Columbus and watch what they do and got some tips from the keepers there. And that was really helpful. Um, so we completely changed our setup, and now what we do is um, we, they come up, they approach two fire hose straps, and that um, has been what we've done ever since. And it seems to work really well for them oh. and for us. Yeah, explain the setup, how you do this. So it's between two stalls, and there are two straps hung up between, it's kind of hard to explain without a visual idea. <laughs> <laughs> but just but, to be clear, like, we step into the stalls with a giraffe, like, every once in a while, in, like, safe ways, but we don't technically spend lots of time like without no. some sort of barrier between us yeah we don't just walk around and stalls with them they would yeah. probably kick us <laughs> so, uh, so the setup is like the straps like kind of go across their chest 
um, so they can approach and like push their chest on the straps or touch the straps, but they don't. They uh, their their feet are free to like put on a block or just be touched or their neck to be touched. Um, we've done hand injections there. We did their COVID vaccines um, in the shoulder. So Super cool. Yeah, I forgot about that one. Yeah, we, <laughs> they, so we can now do hand injections with them, um, but they just kind of push their shoulder through the straps and we can touch their shoulder and give them an injection that way. Um, but their their feet are free, so the only thing that they're touching is the, the straps is their chest and then we can put a block in front of their feet and ask them to originally it was just asking them to touch the block with their feet or kick it and now they will curl their foot onto it so we can access the bottom of their foot and use rafts and knives and um and be able to trim the bottom of their feet just like you would a horse so with the block like imagine kind of like a couple of two by fours i don't know would you say it's like one foot by one and a half feet? yeah i think it's yeah i think it's about a foot wide and a foot and a half tall. so just like a box essentially that <laughs> yeah. they are setting their foot on and yeah you just like reward them for kicking it at first or <laughs> just like tapping <laughs> it with their toe on accident and they picked it up pretty quickly right yeah some of them faster than others but yeah they once they realize they're getting a cracker for just touching that box they're like oh okay well, what else can i do <laughs> so, and then you kind of shaped it from there yeah and it's interesting because giraffe don't really necessarily like all different, well, some of them don't like to be touched at all, or at least mm -hmm. until you work them up to it, but don't want their feet touched. So who was the best with that or like handled all of the Theo. changes? Oh, yeah. For sure. Theo, like we, we can do all four feet on Tessa because she's just super motivated um, and she's just, she's a smart girl, but it took a while. She didn't like to be touched at first. So it was a long process of just getting her used to being handled or being touched. Uh, Theo, he'd never cared from the beginning, never reacted to touch at all. So that made him a hundred times easier than anyone else we've trained. Um, Finn and Zoe still do not like to be touched. Uh, so we are actually able to trim their feet without touching their fur. We can just touch the bottom of their hoof and they don't seem to, ha they're not really sensitive on their hoof, I think. Okay. It's kind of like your fingernail. Um, so they can feel it. They can definitely feel the pressure and they can hear the sounds and all that, but they don't seem to be as sensitive. So we can just touch the bottom of their hoof and still do what we need to do and take care of their feet, but not, not touch their fur because they don't like it. And I don't want to get my face kicked <laughs> off. <You're right. laughs> There's a little bit of a, an element of danger during all yes. of this training, at least the hoof work, I would yeah. say. Well, I mean, we're all aware of it. We, we know what their limitations are. So we, we keep ourselves in a safe place, but. So you spend all this time kind of working and building these behaviors, but why is the hoof work so important? What, what makes it so necessary to train these behaviors? Yeah, and this is a all new thing that I feel like zoos are doing in general is, you know, of horses getting their feet worked yeah. on all the time, but people haven't been doing it with exotics for very long. Right. I think it's like people kind of just, a new thing. Yeah, I think people just always thought they're wild animals. They don't, no one trims their feet in the wild, so why would we do it here? But, and there's still some um, zoo, like wild animals that we have in zoos that don't really seem to need a lot from us. Like their feet are just fine. They take care of them on their own. Uh, we still check them just to make sure, but like they don't really need help from us. But giraffe are not one of those. They just don't walk enough. They don't move enough. Their food is provided for them. Even if we set, like spread it out all over the yard, they're still not going to walk as much in a zoo setting as they would in the wild. And they're not running from predators. Just that abrasion of like running, um, the like is just not going to cut it in zoos. We're not. We're not. They're not getting that here. So um, they just need to have their their feet trend sometimes um it's like, like one crazy. of those things where they 
you know, they're getting all of these things, making their life a little bit easier, but then something else comes with it. So yeah. we're responsible for fixing that. And yes. they're such huge animals. You can imagine all that weight and pressure yeah. on their hooves. So their, their hooves, they overgrow and they kind of curl under and compact. So the tissue will just compact into their foot. So from the top, you're just looking down and they look okay. And everybody's like, oh, they look fine. Their feet are fine. But you just don't see the bottom of their feet. So you can't tell the problems that are happening. Um, so the, if you trim their feet out a little, you'll see. It's Actually, the compaction is really hard to see. But um, but it shouldn't be like that. If you, uh, I got to go to a class called the Zoo Hoof Trim Program. And we got to do some dissections on giraffe hooves. And when you dissect their feet and see what the compaction looks like on the inside, it ends up creating like a spike into their um, into their foot, which shouldn't be there. And it, you can imagine how painful that would be yeah. to walk on. This probably isn't a great example, but maybe people can imagine like if you had an ingrown toenail yeah. and it's like it's just growing, overgrowing and going into tissue that it shouldn't. You can imagine it's very uncomfortable or you might have mm -hmm. had it before. So it's almost... And that's just the initial, initial stage of it. They get so overgrown to the point where they can have like tish, uh, tendon and ligament issues um, and... Uh, uh, Even like stress fractures and yeah, stuff, right? Yeah, abscesses and stress, like not, it's like a full-on fracture. Like there have been several giraffes that have been found to have like broken pedal bones. Like, like their whole toe is broken in half because of overgrowth, just mm -hmm. putting so much pressure on that bone that it just snaps. So can you imagine how painful that would be yeah. to walk on? Right. And that, all these issues are kind of exacerbated with giraffes with how long their legs are, all those ligaments and muscles. They cover so much ground and they weigh so much. Like imagine, yeah. like... It's like Jenna said, it's always a pain in the butt when you get an ingrown toenail and you're like, oh my God, this hurts so bad. Imagine walking 1,500 pounds. We mentioned they don't lay down to sleep. They sleep standing up, so they're on their feet a basically 22-ish hours a day, probably 23 hours a day. And Yeah. Cool. I think it's, it's one of the most painful. important things that we've realized as zoos to that needs to progress mm -hmm. and get better and i'm so mm -hmm. thankful that there are experts like steve foxworth who's kind of led the way with this and shine mountain zoo is doing classes and mm -hmm. teaching everyone about this so kind of like you know sharing the knowledge with colleagues and everything is making it better for yeah, giraffe and all zoos yeah there's a lot of uh, like facebook groups that they share a lot of enrichment ideas and training ideas and the the class that i went to has a graduate school page so we share stuff all the time like hey I have this problem how can we help so we stay in touch and can like reach out for help if we need it so it's really nice that there's so much like help community out there to, to definitely to. definitely yeah things have just changed so much over the years like just even the having Facebook to communicate <laughs> with other zookeepers yeah. you've never met or you met and you haven't seen in 10 years mm -hmm. or that sort of thing so you do hoof work which uh, you know, the best way we could give a visual is thinking of if you've ever seen a horse getting their feet worked on, even though their feet are completely different, mm -hmm. but just kind of imagine that working on the bottom and then x-rays. I always think it's really interesting because giraffe, I mean, we can be doing a procedure with our vets down there and a million extra people helping us take care of like whatever vet procedure we're doing on one giraffe and the other four will just hang out in the other stalls completely calm. But then you could put something like a new rock in the yard and they may not exit the stall for hours because they're afraid of a new rock. They're not afraid of all this other stuff or people being down there. It's really interesting what they're nervous about. Yeah. But like something like an x-ray machine could definitely spook them away from coming up to train. So you guys have made like fake 
but realistic looking. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, a, it's a box that's painted orange and has a weird little handle on it. But yeah, it's what we use as our like mock x-ray machine. So, so. you have to bring <laughs> props in to get them used yeah. to it. But it's really good for like when the actual thing is happening or a procedure is happening. You And getting them used to extension cords because we have to run oh, yeah. an extension cord to operate the x-ray machine. So we have, and we have like a, a like a, the lead smock that we have to wear for x-rays we have a like a, a broken one that we keep <laughs> in the barn just to wear when we're so we have all of the things to practice it's just a matter of like getting it done yeah yeah like jenna said it's always amazing to see what they decide to pick out that spooks them for whatever reason that day it could be something that's been there for days <laughs> or a week or yeah. whatever so like getting them used to these changes it sounds silly that we're doing we're practicing s x-rays for months leading up to the real thing and we're putting on a smock every single time but with the giraffe it really is necessary yeah because even though we practice it all the time and they do great like when we actually go to do x-rays it's always slightly different because the techs have to to put like certain things in the like the x-ray plate that slides into the box that we use and um and just the way the setup is we have to stop and start again it's just different so there's like small changes that like that throw them off yeah so when you take your regular x-rays is there anything in particular that you're looking for it's mostly uh i think they're just i don't really see the x-rays most of the time i've, I've seen a few but um I think they're mostly just looking at the pedal bone. It's usually where they seem to have the most trouble. Um, giraffe, if they get overgrowth in their feet, they're, they're the two bones that are like their toes, basically in their hoof, is where their um, their fractures tend to happen the most. Um, that's what I always look at when I see X-rays because that's mm -hmm. what I've seen like going to these classes, like is where the breaks usually are. But I'm not sure what the vets and techs are looking at exactly if they're looking at the same place as I am. But I'm not a tech. I don't know how to read X-rays. <laughs> yeah. so they're the professional facilitating yeah. what's happening. <laughs> so then I think it's really cool you mentioned that the giraffe are COVID vaccinated, and you did that by getting them used to a needle, and they just stand there and accept it you know it's like better than a lot of humans yeah. <laughs> as long as they're getting food they don't mind and then blood draw tell us about that and a lot of people are probably curious where you draw the blood from and how it works um we draw from the jugular so from their neck uh, we use a couple of ladders and they just go up we don't use the same strap set up because we don't really need their legs exposed and it's um but they go up and over their door and we just get the vet, vet tech is on a ladder and i'm on a short step, step stool and um, they just bring their head over the door, and I feed them and keep them on a target just to keep their head still, and the tech can touch their neck, and then we practice poking them with a, a capped needle and then a blunt, blunted needle, um, and then we try to go for the real deal. But we try to go with a small needle at first and work our way up to a bigger needle because it's better than going straight for, like, a big needle. That's yeah. really painful, so... Yeah, and their, their skin is pretty tough, right? Like, you yeah. have to push pretty hard to get the needle in. Yeah, so their skin is pretty tough. And uh, there are some places that draw blood from the fetlock, so from their their foot, but, um, like, the side of their, their like, foot, like, right, their biggest joint near their hoof, um, there's a vein that runs that way that a lot of people, or people at Columbus do some of the keepers there draw from, but we have never done that here. I've always been too scared to, like, ru ruin their hoof training behavior mm. to do that but yeah especially if they're already a little bit sensitive with that area and it might be a little bit more dangerous if they got upset they could kick you yes <laughs> that's actually what amy said today one of our vet techs we were talking about that possibility of doing that with one of the giraffe and she's like but then you're next to the kicky things like, you're, you're right <laughs> uh, so what else um 
Is there anything that's novel that we haven't talked about that maybe Mark and I don't know as far as training that you're working on that we haven't mm. heard about? Uh, we've been working on the GRD training, which GRD is a draft restraint device, which is, sound, it sounds scary, but it's just a chute, basically, and the bottom of it is a scale. So the giraffe are used to walking through that every day anyway, and that's how we get regular weights on them, is they, they'll stop and stand there on the scale for a couple of crackers, and then they go out onto exhibit. Um, but in the wintertime... We've actually been working on it all summer, but we've lately we just they do a big circle in the barn. Basically, they go down the hallway, stand in the GRD for a little bit, get a, get some crackers, and then go back into the stalls. Um, but we've also been we have a back door to it that has to slide all the way down the hallway, and it's kind of loud and scary. Um, but getting a couple of them used to doing that, mostly Fennessy um, and Theo. Um, if we ever needed to do any kind of procedure, we have no plans for it. It's just kind of like, why not just do mm -hmm. it kind of behavior, mm -hmm. um, just getting them used to it. And if, and if Theo ever were to go anywhere, not that we have plans for him to go anywhere, but um, if some of them were ever to go to another zoo, we just it'd be nice to get them used to being in that hallway, having that door move behind them. So that's something that we're working on that I think is exciting, but we're not... We don't really have a plan for it. Yeah, you mentioned the scale. Do you, off the top of your head, know their weights roughly that you could share with everyone? Uh, yeah, the Tessa, even though she's the oldest, she's the smallest of the big girls. Um, she's around 14, 80, 90. And Zoe and Cece kind of go back and forth with who's the heaviest. Uh, Zoe's five years old now, so she's full grown. Um, but she is around 15, between 1520 and 1550, and Cece's kind of the same. They kind of fluctuate. So they're like 50 pounds heavier than Tessa. And the boys, uh, Theo just hit 1,000 pounds around Christmas. Whoop, whoop. Yeah. Except for baby Theo. <laughs> yeah, he's so tiny for his age. He's so little. Um, I think he's around, I haven't gotten a height on them recently. I think he's uh, between 11 and 12 feet. I think he's like 11 and a half-ish. And um, Fen is probably closer to 13 feet tall, and he is about 13, I think he's like 1330. Wow, he's getting up there. Yeah. How tall are the girls? Uh, they're about 15. No, sorry, 14 and a half. Fourteen, 14 and a half. Do you know much about Cora's weight? Is she still tiny? I wonder if Cece just makes tiny babies. I don't know. That's a good question. Huh. I haven't looked into her. Yeah, that's Cor funny. I've never really thought about Theo being... Small for his age, because in my mind, he's just the baby of the group, so he's supposed to be <laughs> <Yeah>. small. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I haven't, I haven't looked at Cora's weight. Cora's not here anymore, yeah. so I haven't worked. I haven't looked at her Zim's notes. Yeah, I wouldn't expect you. I don't know if yeah. you like saw pictures recently or anything, if you knew. Mm -mm. Um, so, talking about weight and things makes me think about diet we haven't mentioned. Mm -hmm. So, another thing that we've improved over the years since I started back in 2000 and. Uh, nine. Well, with the draft 2011, is we provide them with so many more opportunities to eat. So they're eating all throughout the day in a lot of different ways. So we want to talk about that. And then also the browse that we're providing them and maybe tell us about some of their favorites. Yeah, so uh, we try to give them like five or six different feedings a day. They get two big grain feedings, AM and PM, just to make sure they're getting all their any kind of meds if they need it and to make sure they're just eating the bulk of their diet because some of them eat faster than others. Theo is especially slow. <laughs> That's why he's tiny. Yeah. <laughs> so I always try to separate him out so that he gets all of his grain because he used to eat with Fennessy all the time and Fennessy would just eat his grain for him. <laughs> yeah, Fennessy's a haul. He <laughs> yeah. tears down his food. It goes for anyone else's. <laughs> yeah, him and Zoe both. So they, they tend to just share a stall and they can duke it out, the two of them. <laughs> But, um, uh, so we, 
they they get uh, grain feedings throughout the day, like either on deck or on exhibit or overhead in their uh, pulleys in the barn. Uh, so we try to space it out just to like so they're not just getting two big giant like meals a day. Um, they also get uh, produce and uh, beet uh, pulp. I was like, what am I, what am I forgetting? Beet pulp. They get produce and beet pulp also as enrichment. So we put those like either in puzzle feeders or scatter them around the exhibit. They get lots of lettuce, mostly uh, at the deck, but when the deck feeding is closed, we also give them plenty of lettuce um, in puzzle feeders or scatter it however for enrichment through, all throughout the day. They get constantly getting lettuce. Giraffe in the wild are typically going to eat about 75 pounds of foliage a day, mm-hmm. um, and they're getting less like the quality of the food may not be as high. They may not be finding like the most lush leaves or uh, twigs and bark to eat. So at the zoo, sometimes they don't have to eat quite as much like poundage, but we are feeding them all day long. They get the free choice yeah. alfalfa hay. And the, the grain is really calorie dense. The produce yeah. is calorie dense. So a lot of the stuff that they're getting, they're not getting... Like, if they eat browse all day long like they would in the wild, yeah, they're not, they're eating a ton and all day, but they're, it's not, doesn't have a lot of calories. Mm-hmm. So the stuff they're getting here is a little more calorie dense, but they do also get plenty of browse. Um, we get browse every single day, especially right now in the wintertime, we're getting a box a day, which doesn't sound like a lot, but the boxes are huge and they're stuffed full. Um, but they get a whole box every day and we get bamboo, um, a couple of times a week too. And if we need to, we can also go out and cut some more bamboo if we want to um but they so they're getting browse every single day and um, they get alfalfa all day long so they have free access to alfalfa as much as they want um and then yeah all the other things spread out so they're they're constantly eating but that's that's what they do <laughs> yeah we talk about where our browse is coming from yeah the boxes come from florida it's called uh, koala i forget the name of the co- koala something um but it comes from florida so it gets shipped in once a week and it's for not just for giraffe, but through, for a bunch of animals in the zoo. I think the okapi and primates and probably a few other things get get box browse. Yeah, I think all of us departments that work with herbivores definitely appreciate kind of the steps that the browse program has taken at the zoo over the time. Like we get this fresh browse, beautiful green browse shipped in from Florida daily, and it looks amazing. The giraffe love it. Yeah, <laughs> it's so important for yeah. them. And and in case anybody doesn't know what browse is because it's oh i feel like it's a weird zoo term it's (laughs) it's essentially like cut branches of trees with fresh leaves on them so we call it browse we also call bamboo which is technically a grass browse but anything where they can browse on leaves because Mm -hmm. animals that are going to be eating from bushes and trees are going to be considered browsers so i think that's where it came from whereas like a cow is a grazer because they're grazing on the grass but um so yeah we're getting making sure that they're getting all these different types of nutrients and different opportunities to eat, which I think has come a long way in the past 10 years or so where they're getting all these puzzle feeders. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say. They get all these puzzle feeders now. They get lots of um, tongue feeders, so they're having to use their long tongues to like get in there and get stuff out of their Their prehensile tongues. So they can like pick things up, essentially. It's like a monkey's tail. They can kind of (laughs) wrap it around things. Yeah. And they're like, so we have like holes cut out of these little barrels and they have to stick them in and then pull it out. I mean, we have all sorts of different Yeah, and other enrichment that's not really like a puzzle feeder, but we have like wind chimes and like we have these plastic straps that kind of look like a car wash that they love to either run their head through or just chew on. Um, the wind chimes never last long. We're constantly replacing them because <laughs> they're, they're made out of bamboo, so they just 
eat it or chew on it, and they, they love those. So. Do any of the drafts specifically, like the wind chimes or the freezer flaps or any of that stuff? I see Cece and Fennessy. Fennessy loves the freezer flaps, I think, and um, Cece and Fen and Zoe I see with the wind chimes the most. Like, they, they destroy them <laughs> constantly. It's always so fun to see animals enjoying their enrichment. Yeah, yeah that's why we keep replacing them. Like, we can't not have these. They oh, love right? it. <laughs> For sure. So, yeah, I think another interesting thing people might notice when they come to the zoo um, and see the giraffe is that we have certain trees wrapped with fencing essentially and that's because the giraffe will eat bark also and if they strip the bark off of these trees then the trees would die mm -hmm. and we would have no shade in the yard so if you ever come to the zoo and you see our trees wrapped it's because the animals would eat them and we need them there for shade yeah. we'd be replacing trees on a yearly basis <laughs> yeah. in the giraffe yard big <laughs> trees are not cheap so yeah. yeah that's one of my favorite enrichment to give them inside is logs like that like yeah. this time of year because i think on the Savannah exhibit recently, we had to cut a willow tree down, and like the big log, they were just gonna throw away or mulch it or something, and uh, um, I I was like, no, I'll I'll take it. We don't want to throw that away, and um, so I just hung it up with a bunch of straps, and they just destroyed it. They licked all the bark off of it. They loved it. That's so awesome. like, I wish we got those more often because yeah. they really like that. It's amazing. Like you would think after seeing the logs, like that a carpenter was working with this log, <laughs> right? you know, how cleanly they strip the bark. It is incredible. Definitely. And in the wild, they're eating a lot of acacia leaves off of trees that have giant thorns. So their saliva is super thick to help protect them from that. And I wonder if it helps break down mm. and like, you know, get all of the bark. And we sometimes get different types of acacia here, right? Yeah, we just get one type of acacia. Okay. It's not thorny. I don't know, like... We get lots of different types of ficus. There's okay. like a ficus elastica, and I can't remember some of the other names, but we get like two or three different varieties of ficus that they really like. Um, but the acacia, I think, is just one kind. I've never seen, because usually they label the boxes on what kind of brows we're getting, and it always just says acacia okay. and not a different species or type. So I don't know if it is or not. Do you notice that they like that more? Like, I'm just curious because it's like their natural yeah. favorite, supposedly. Yeah, so they I love the acacia. Okay. I think that is one of their favorites. Um, and the ficus elastica, which is basically a rubber plant. <laughs> so yeah. a lot of people have That's those the in big their house. Leaves, right? yeah. Yeah. yeah, they like get really uh, slimy with those and really drooly. <laughs> they love that. Uh, the giraffe are the best. I swear, like, they're probably in the top five of what people say is their favorite animal, if you ask, like, yeah. coming to the zoo. And so we do have the experience where you can feed them. And so in the summer, they're getting, what, up to eight pounds of lettuce per giraffe for yeah. these feedings. Yeah. So you can come and reach your arm out, and giraffe will stick their tongue out and meet you halfway. Take your photo with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. the lettuce, which is a really cool experience. And we learned recently in David Orban's um, episode that it actually is really nice for the giraffe and keeps them up and moving and kind of makes, you know, their days a little bit different each day and is its own form of enrichment, it seems. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We talk a little bit about, at our zoo, we have Maasai giraffe. We talk a little bit about the different subspecies, kind of the classification of giraffes in general. I know it's like a hotly debated scientific yeah, topic it, at the it, moment. It's <laughs> a very controversial subject, yeah. I think. But there are, no matter which way you look at it, there are uh, nine types of giraffe. The debate is that there is one species and nine subspecies, or the other side of it is that there are four sub four species, and within those subspecies there's a couple of like subspecies. But Anyway, doesn't matter. Either way, there are nine different types of giraffe. I don't know which which one is right. But. I feel like you see different stuff depending on kind of the the source that you get it from, right? Like I've yeah. seen reliable sources that 
site either way, so it's kind of tricky. Yeah, yeah. so the, I think historically it was just one species and nine subspecies, and more recently, there's been recently a lot of research that someone has done to decide that there were four t totally different species, but I don't know which one is right, but there are nine different types. They're just from different parts of Africa, um, so they're different. Some are taller than others. Some they, they all have different patterns, so their coloration or pattern shape can be different. So like reticulated giraffe are like what I think of at least as like a typical like uh, pattern. Like they're very blocky. Like their white stripes are very white. Their block their like uh, pattern is very blocky and perfect. Um, and Maasai, like what we have, they're it's a little more muddled. Their their pattern is a little more leaf shaped and less like blocky. Um, they're a little more orange, where Maasai's, I think, are kind of more, more brownish-reddish. Yeah. Um, yeah, the patterning in the retic... Like, I think those are the two that are most common in zoos, are reticulated and Maasai. And reticulated, it's very well-defined. Like, mm -hmm. you can perfectly make out every single block of patterning on them. Yeah. And the giraffes, like you said, it's... Or the giraffes. <laughs> the Maasai <laughs> giraffe. Like you mentioned, it's very muddled. Sometimes it's hard to really see the distinction between one pattern block and another. But, but it's interesting. It's what makes them all different and helps you tell them apart if mm -hmm. there isn't an obvious size or... Yeah, you know, that's another way a lot of people... Like, we have pictures on the deck that, that show like different patterns like Tessa has a pie shape on her chest Cece actually spells her name on her chest there's a C and an E on her chest and if you look close on her other shoulder she has like a Grinch it looks like a Grinch face to me <laughs> I always like point that out to it's people it's like looking at clouds what do you see <laughs> yeah and Zoe has like a V on her face it looks like a peace sign like on the side oh, of her face oh I've never heard that one yeah. I've never noticed that either I, I'm gonna have to look at that yeah. one over there it's on, it's on the right side <laughs> and um uh, Fen and Theo, like, I know distinct marks on them, but they're, right now it's just, like, their size. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. you can tell them apart so I was easily. actually telling somebody in the department, maybe it was Wendy the other, or not the other day, a couple of weeks ago, a month ago, I was like, I just realized the other day that I need to find a way to tell these boys apart because I always just go off of size. And then if they're not near one another, I, like, second-guessed myself <laughs> at one point. And anyways, yeah. It's like and, we well, need to... if you look at their face, and I don't, I guess I don't have like a pattern point that I look at on them, but their faces are just so different. Like mm -hmm. Fennessy has like a very dark, almost black face yeah. and like really fluffy ossicones. And uh, Theo has like an orange or reddish face, much lighter. And he has like really thin, like dainty cones. <laughs> the ossicones are always what I look at. Like, yeah. I always say that Theo looks like he's like a greaser. He's got like slick back <laughs> ossicones. <laughs> they look really nice. Like, yeah. <laughs> kind of perfect. Uh, they are. They're really cute. Um, what about like in the wild, some of like the challenges that they face? Um, I know their, their biggest uh, thing is habitat loss and um, fragmentation with uh, villages and humans like like taking over their space and then they can't travel to different, their different parts to eat because there's people in the way. Mm. Uh, yeah. You know, unfortunately in Africa there's, well, why did I say Africa? Everywhere in the world, there's a lot of human, you know, problems or people are ca causing these problems and even just wars happening. Unfortunately, animals are like the innocent bystanders that are having issues with that. And then I know, um, you know, one of the things we've probably mentioned before, but the coltan that's being mined um, for cell phones. That's why we have the re uh, cell phone recycling program here, which hopefully we'll do an episode on. Um, but that's affecting giraffe and they're, you know... Um, mining for different things so basically yeah habitat loss is just such an issue they don't have the mm -hmm. space to get away and then i think that also is part of the conflict um or the controversy of the different subspecies and everything is the giraffe are getting split 
thanks to, you know, humans taking over their space and then the breeding isn't quite as like intermingled as it yeah. used to be. And there's different a lot of areas of Africa that are, that's giraffe are completely like extinct. They don't exist in those areas anymore and there's some groups, uh, conservation groups that are trying to move giraffe from one area to another to bring them back to that area. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's insane. They'll round up these giraffe and put them on a truck mm -hmm. and drive them. I mean, it's incredible. The Draft Conservation Foundation, you guys can look up like pictures or follow them on Facebook or something and or Instagram maybe and see like I don't know, 8 to 12 giraffe just all sitting on a yeah. on a trailer, a bed attached to a truck just being driven around and they're as calm as can be. I mean, I guess maybe they just know they Yeah, they don't they're just there. What are they going to do? Yeah. yeah, they have tons of browse around them, yeah. And, but yeah, they're trying to repopulate different um, you know, habitats and sections of Africa, but... Yeah, the work that Giraffe Conservation Foundation does is amazing. Yes. But you mentioned, like, the habitat fragmentation. I always feel like that's a, especially an issue for species that are nomadic, like giraffes. Like, they don't mm -hmm. necessarily have these kind of set ranges where they stay in the same place in a fragmented part of the habitat. They need to move. They're moving constantly. And Right. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I think even, like trains and you know roads Highways, and, yeah. yeah and then um fences being put up and things can stop a lot of animals so and poaching yeah i've even read you know like it's kind of a rite of passage to kill a giraffe for its tail or something and mm -hmm. just super unfortunate so they do have issues that they are facing <laughs> one thing you can do to help giraffe here at the zoo because they're facing so many things is actually come meet them for a tour you can check out all that information on the zoo's website there's lots of tours you can do and well, we've talked about those before i mm -hmm. think but is there anything else you wanted to add giraffe facts we haven't talked about or should we make mark quiz us and embarrass myself <laughs> <laughs> is there anything we forgot to mention or something you're really proud of you want to share um i can't think of anything specifically are there any videos out on youtube that i feel like we've shared a few training videos right that people could yeah, check out there's at least one. Okay. Um, and we, Tessa, you'll get to see her um, doing her front hoof training. Um, and it's me and Thane talking and Tessa in the background getting her hoof trimmed. There's, um, so there's that. And I think there's a video of a couple of immobilizations. Um, but... I think that's it. Yeah, so I think if you go to the Cincinnati Zoo's YouTube page, you could find these training sessions with Tessa, at least, and kind of give you... Uh, a visual of what we're trying mm -hmm. to explain because I imagine if you're just listening to this you wouldn't understand what we're saying with like straps and a block and all of that so you can yeah. check out the zoo's YouTube page. The visual is really impressive though because it gives you a, a kind of an understanding of what a big undertaking it is to actually take care of their feet like it's kind of a tricky setup like Teresa was mentioning with the block and the straps and then the months, years even that it takes to train the giraffe to actually put their feet on the block and choose to present it to us and choose to participate in their own health care it's a lot of work and Teresa has the most patience of anyone on this team I would say <laughs> <Very impressive>. for, <laughs> for sure it's amazing so you have a quiz for us of course I have a quiz for okay. you guys today <laughs> I'm scared always <laughs> I got five questions for you today we'll see who will come out on top in the arbitrary point system that I keep in my head um they're all draft slash Giraffe are obviously the tallest land animal, height-related, because mm. we're talking about the tallest living creature. Starting off with giraffe, how many vertebrae do giraffe have in their neck? That's easy. Yeah, we start off with softball. Real soft. Start with the softball. Seven. 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 Yeah. Seven's correct. That one's always fascinating to me. I told my family members that one time, and they were like, 
they were in disbelief that a giraffe has as many vertebrae as a dog. And yeah. Like, yeah, almost, there's a couple exceptions or out us. there, but almost all yeah. mammals have seven vertebrae I think there, in their neck. there's only two or three exceptions, manatees and... Something. Yeah, I remember I manatees. Manatees and something else. There's not, there's not many, though. And is it, it sloth? Is, I think it might be sloth. That would make sense. They're weird. <laughs> <laughs> but giraffe we vertebrae are, are like, I don't know, what, eight, ten inches tall, so it's just like... Yeah. Where ours are like... Centimeters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're still seven, just like us, but they're massive and elongated. And even though their necks are six feet long, they've only got seven vertebrae. Teresa actually mentioned question number two. She got it correct in her. Uh, or I should. I'll say she got it correct, but I'm still going to ask Jenna. <laughs> see how close you were listening, see if I was Jenna. Listening. How much does a giraffe heart weigh? Twenty five pounds. Twenty five pounds. She's yeah. got it. She's got it. It's so large. It's got like. Therese had mentioned they've got tons of extra muscle in their heart. It has to pump blood against gravity six oh, feet yeah, up, their neck. up their neck. Like, yeah. yeah, they've got one of the highest blood pressures because of that, of all mammals, because their giraffe, or their giraffe, their hearts have <laughs> yeah. so much muscle in it. All right, question number three. We're on a roll so far. What is a giraffe's scientific name, and what is the meaning behind the name? Girafficamelopardus. I was going to say that, but I do not know the meaning. I think it's because they look like camels and leopard because spots. of their spots. <laughs> She's right. Yeah, so it's kind of a Greek word that roughly translated, is roughly translated to leopard camel. Makes sense. Which I didn't, now that you kind of know it, like, yeah, camelopardus, it makes sense, but I would have never thought that, like, yeah, it's a camel with a leopard print. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty accurate, though. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Three for three so far. I'm impressed. Here's where we start to get off the rails. Uh -oh. <laughs> I was going to say, these have been too easy. I don't know what How to tall think. was the tallest human being to mm -hmm. ever live? Oh, wow. Bonus points if you know Who? the person's name yeah, or where they're from. How tall were they, though? I'm going to say nine and a half feet. <gasps> really? Nine and a wow. half feet. Sure. I don't know. <laughs> I was going to say, like, seven, eight from Russia. Seven, eight from Russia. Do you have a, a birthplace? Um, no, I don't know. <laughs> that sounds right, though. <laughs> I feel like it's not in the Guess U.S. <laughs> the tallest human ever was eight feet tall, 11 wow. inches. <gasps> she was close. Yeah, almost wow. nine feet. That is astounding. His name was Robert Pershing Wadlow. And he was born in, surprisingly enough, Alton, Illinois. Oh, I was in the U.S. When wow. I was, yeah, when I was looking this up, I kind of thought the same thing. I was like, maybe like Eastern Europeans are really yeah. tall, you know, something like that. But How long he's did from he right live? here in the U.S. So he was born in 1918. He died at the age of 22, Aww. unfortunately. Yeah. yeah, a lot of complications when human body's not made to be that right. big. Right, how did that yeah. happen? So, but they actually like scientists at the time thought that he was still growing when Is, he passed isn't away. Isn't it like oh a gosh. pituitary gland uh, thing? Yeah. Like growth hormone Growth thing? hormones yeah. and pituitary glands. Yeah, he had all wow. kinds of issues. And then along with like, he, had, he was starting to have ligament, even at the age of 22, he was starting to have like kind of muscle and ligament damage due to carrying such a big frame, which is Dang. really unfortunate. Yeah, but 8 feet 11, it's wow. absolutely massive. That's crazy. Yeah. There's like kind of, I guess, anecdotal stories of people who are taller than that. But that is the one scientifically, like, accepted height okay. at the moment. Yeah, 8 feet 11. All right, question number five. In that same vein, how tall is the world's tallest building? Bonus points oh. if you know what it is or where it is. Um, is it the, the, oh, man, I know the name of it. Something Khalif in Dubai? 
All I was going to say is Dubai. You guys are both right. So it's in du it's called the Burj Khalifa. Burj, yeah, Burj wow. Khalifa. In Dubai. Wait, let me guess how can I'll I say guess any the idea stories of the or am I guessing feet? I don't know the stories. I know the feet. Feet. Okay. Yeah, how tall it is in feet. Um, I don't know. <laughs> 1300 feet. I don't even know. If 1300 feet. 1300 for Jenna. I guess a mile is like 5,000 something, right? Yeah, 5,200 something. Or is it just 5,200? <laughs> I don't know. Either We're way, clearly good I'm at gonna math here. I'm going to stick with my 1,300. 1,300. 10,000. 10,000 for Teresa. Sure. Two miles high? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think it's like 200 something stories. So like the feet threw me off. I'm not sure. I'll have to look up the stories. But it is 2,717 feet wow. tall. Okay. 2,717 feet tall. I just threw a big number out there. <laughs> but it. it's insane. If you've been to New York, I've been and seen the Empire State Building, which is like, it was for the longest time, it was the tallest building in the world. And it's probably what most Americans, I know we've got a different point of view, but it's probably what we still think of as one of the taller buildings in the world. The Empire State Building is 1,250 Wow. So this thing is over twice the size of the Empire State I just building. saw a video of somebody like sitting on top of the needle of the Burj Khalifa. That's the only reason I knew the name uh. of it. Like, I could not, just watching the videos of him up there was terrifying. Yeah. I could not imagine. Ugh. Yeah, it's, that's always, like watching those like videos of free climbers and stuff. Yeah. It's always like makes uh -huh. your skin crawl. It's insane what they do. But, hey, three, I'll give you three and a half points. I say, I, think, <laughs> okay. I think we kind of rocked that one. <laughs> <laughs> Jenna, do we have anything else for Teresa while we've got her with us? Yes. So, you know, I want to know, what can I do? Do you have any suggestions for us? Um, a simple one that I do at home is I use, like, reuse my boxes from, like, uh, cereal boxes, granola bars, medicine, little cardboard medicine box, whatever, anything like that, egg, egg cartons. I reuse them for enrichment for my animals at home yeah. and collect them and bring them into the zoo. So instead of throwing them out with the trash, I bring them in and reuse them so someone else can play with them. <laughs> yeah, give it a second life. It's so fun and we make like puzzle feeders basically out of boxes. Yeah, so you or... can put food in them and like your dog can like have to push it around to get food out or I have a bird at home so he likes to tear them up and he'll chew the boxes up He's to the get cutest. to his food. So. Yeah, something simple that anyone could do for their animals. Yeah, make your animals' lives better and give a box or some sort of cardboard a second life. I love it. Yeah, I love it. That's also the most like zookeeper response right? I've ever heard. Is like <laughs> do enrichment for your animals yes. at home because they deserve enrichment too. Definitely, no, I love it. But they do get a kick out of it. Same thing for my cats at home. Like I yeah. don't know if there's any animal that doesn't find some use out of a cardboard box. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's Great. awesome. I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us, yeah, telling us about giraffe. We're very impressed with all of your training. Yes, you definitely. should be proud. Yeah. And our giraffe are thankful, I'm sure. Yes. And thanks for listening. Yeah. Thank you all for listening. Until next time, thanks to Teresa for all the fantastic work with giraffe, like Jenna said. Thanks, guys. It was fun. <laughs> Yay! <laughs>